Welcome everyone to episode 20 of Ohio Unsolved. I'm your host Matthew, and I can't believe that we're already on episode 20. The amount of support that I have received from so many people is just amazing to me. And for complete strangers to actually be listening to my new episodes every Friday means so much to me. Thank you all. Now let's get into the episode. Today's episode is about the mysterious disappearance of Cynthia Anderson. So sit back, make sure to lock your doors and windows, and get ready for Ohio Unsolved. Today's episode is an interesting one. Cynthia Anderson was born February 4, 1961, and she was only 20 years old when she seemingly vanished off the face of the earth. On August 4, 1981, Cynthia went to work where she was a legal secretary at a law firm in Toledo, Ohio. In the few weeks that led up to her disappearance, she suffered horrible nightmares of being attacked by an unknown man. But she also received several threatening and harassing phone calls at work. Someone also spray-painted, I love you, Cindy, by GM, on the wall just outside her office window. When it was removed, it was then painted on even bigger than the first time. The phone calls got so bad that her employers had an emergency button installed at her desk that would alert nearby businesses if there was ever an emergency. She was also advised to lock her office doors while at work just to be safe. On the morning of August 4th, Cynthia arrived to work at her usual time of 8.30 a.m. She was usually alone in the office in the mornings. Witnesses report seeing her around 9.45 a.m., but by the time her employers arrived at noon, she was already gone. Her office smelled like nail polish remover, and there was an open romance novel on her desk that she had been reading. What may or may not have been a coincidence, the book was open to a part where the main female character was being abducted at knife point. The phones in her office were not placed on hold, which they usually were if she ever left the office. There was no note left on the door, which is something else that she always did. After the police arrived, 
they found that her purse and keys were both missing, but her car was still in the parking lot and locked. In the now over 40 years since she disappeared, the money in her bank account is still there, untouched, and her social security number hasn't been used anywhere since either. In September of 1981, the police receive a phone call from a woman whispering and sounding terrified. The woman told the police that Cynthia was being held in the basement of a White House. She also told the police that the White House was one of two and they were both owned by the same family. The parents were out of town and the son was the one that was holding her hostage. Throughout the phone call, the woman would say that she was scared and that she needed to go. And when the police pushed her for more information, she hung up. She would call back a few hours later, but hung up again when pushed for more info. To this day, no one has been charged in the disappearance of Cynthia Anderson. There have been several suspects, though. One man came forward as the man who wrote the message on the wall outside of her office, but he would claim that it was meant for another woman. He was questioned, but never charged with anything. A maintenance worker in the building of the law firm where she worked had the initials GM. He was also questioned. He had keys and easy access to the building, but he was also never charged with anything. Jose Rodriguez Jr., a convicted drug dealer, and his attorney, Richard Neller, have also been questioned. Neller worked at the firm Cindy worked at in 1981, and some believe that she overheard a conversation between the two that she was not meant to hear. Many people believe that she was abducted and likely murdered due to this, but there is no proof outside of the testimony of an informant at Rodriguez's trial in 1995. The informant testified that Rodriguez had confessed to the murder, but the testimony was deemed unreliable. According to Cynthia's family, it is very unlikely that she would have left on her own. She came from a very strict Christian background, and her and her boyfriend were both planning to attend a Bible college. Her father felt that her behavior was changing because she was focusing more on her appearance and dieting. He also believed, before his death, that she might be out there somewhere with amnesia and not know who she really is. Cindy is described as a brunette white woman with brown eyes, standing at 5 feet 4 inches tall and weighing in at 115 pounds. She was wearing a white v-neck dress with pink pinstripes, brown pantyhose, and beige ankle strap sandals the day that she disappeared. She had a chicken pox scar on her forehead and a fish hook shaped scar on her inner right knee measuring at one and a half inches long. It's almost impossible for someone to truly disappear without a trace these days. With so much tracking technology that we carry around in our pockets and even our cars, one person can't just disappear. 
This is not the case for the early 1980s. One woman gone without a trace from an office building. Over 40 years have passed and no one but the perpetrator knows exactly what happened. It would be fantastic if she was still alive and managed to get home someday. But in all likelihood, she's been dead since 1981. People can be horrible sometimes. The next story that I have for you comes from yourghoststories.com. I love this website because it lets me filter just the Ohio stories. This one is a tiny bit graphic, so listener discretion is advised. I will be reading from the author's perspective. Since October 13, 2008, what started out as a reoccurring incubus appearing in my dreams has crossed over into real life, resulting in a terrifying experience in my bedroom on Saturday, February 7, 2009 at around 9.25 p.m. I am writing about this now because I wonder if anyone else has ever had a similar experience. It started out like this. On October 13, 2008, I had the first dream of this incubus, and in it, he was performing sexual sadomasochistic acts on some woman who desired it. He even killed one in the process. When he had finished with them, it was like he was the nicest guy to talk to. I have no idea why I would be seeing this, but he began hanging out with me like a friend. I was even shocked about his change in mannerism and mentioned to him, you seem nice though. And he shook his head a little and with a wicked grin he corrected me with, friendly. Even though I did see the kind of wickedness he did, I tried to be friendly myself and said, even so, for some reason, I like you, but, but perhaps I should never have said that to this incubus. As the dream progressed to my alarm, he was walking me home at night. I was becoming afraid. I began to fear that at any moment he could suddenly try to hurt me. I wanted to get away from him somehow. Just then, a blast of lightning came down from the night sky behind me from the east and struck the spot where the incubus was standing. However, he leapt back about 10 feet, quickly avoiding the bolt. I watched this with surprise as the incubus ran away to take cover somewhere. Suddenly, to my right side came down three angels in white. They were all identical. They were armed with various weapons that threw lightning bolts and they looked beautiful and dangerous. I didn't want to get caught up in any supernatural angel-devil fighting, so I turned to my left and was about to hurry out of the way when one of the three angels grabbed my right arm, slightly below my elbow, stopping me in my tracks. I turned to look at the one who grabbed me, and he was looking at me sternly and said, Come on. Something inside me told me not to say a word and just obey. So I followed his command and walked over to the three angels and the one who had grabbed me turned around and instructed me to climb onto his back or at least take a hold of it. I listened and was transported away from that incubus and later found myself in some airport terminal or some kind of public place.
suddenly I get this cell phone call and it's the incubus and he's yelling at me. Why did you go with them? I remember saying, I didn't think arguing with angels was wise. Does he think he's my boyfriend or something? Anyhow, that was the end of that dream. Around January 9th, 2009, the second dream I had of this incubus was where he threatened me. In the dream, I found myself at night standing at the side of a main street close to where I live at around 4 a.m. There were no cars in sight because of the hour, and I think I was about to cross the street or I was waiting for someone. When I see this billboard advertising a concert coming up that I really wanted to get tickets to. Anyway, I'm so excited about getting tickets, I turn and want to rush back home, and suddenly I'm face to face with the same incubus from the last dream. But this time he's dressed a little nicer like he was ready for a romantic date. He's looking at me with delight and almost romantically was just standing there on the sidewalk, not saying anything at first. I brush him off and rushed away, actually taking flight on my own without the aid of angels this time. And I'm flying away, heading back toward my house through the neighborhood when I hear him yelling, hey, wait, what about just you wait, he said, my full name. I'll find you. He was so angry that I blew him off like that, but I didn't have time or interest in meeting up with him again. I remember wanting to lose him in case he could follow me because I didn't want him finding out where I lived. So I swooped down toward the tree line to fly through the treetops, and just then, he had thrown something that hit the palm of my left hand and clung to it like the sticky side of a post-it note. I couldn't get it off, so I tried flicking my hand several times to detach it while I was in flight. I entered the dense tree line and could feel all the leaves as I flew through them easily. I thought that I was able to scrape off the tag or whatever he had attached to my hand. I didn't feel it right away as I finally came to my home street and came out of the trees to land on my front porch and I went inside and just then woke up but the feeling of something still attached to my hand remained. I could still feel the tag stuck to the palm of my hand. I was spooked it was around 2 a.m. and I began praying. Having seen this demonic guy already once and now waking up with the feeling that I felt in my hand, I was scared. I began praying to Michael, the archangel, to protect me from this demon who threatened to find me, and I spent some time praying that night. Now, on February 6, 2009, it was between 1 and 2 p.m. in the afternoon. I was home for the day with little to do except relax. I was in my bedroom listening to my stereo next to my bedroom window. I was standing directly beside my window, standing and facing my stereo on the north wall. My window's curtains were tied back so I could let in light and be able to look out at our pine trees at the back fence if I wanted to. As I was enjoying my music, I turned my head to look out the window when suddenly I spotted a man standing there in front of the pine trees in direct view of me, 
some 12 to 15 feet away from my position, and I could only see him for a split second before his whole form drifted to his right and he hid quickly behind my curtains that were tied back with a ribbon I was using. He used my curtain to hide his form, but in that split second I saw the same resemblance to the incubus in my dreams. This time, this was real. This was not a dream, and he was in my backyard in broad daylight. I was alarmed, but not panicking just yet. Now not being too afraid, I let that incident pass, but I wrote it down. The next day, on February 7th, at around 5 p.m., I remember I felt a little drowsy, and I decided to lay down and take a nap before I got up to make dinner. I remember sleeping very nicely, and I didn't have any bad dreams or anything alarming. But suddenly, I opened my eyes, and I got a terrible fright in an instant. Right on top of me was a black shadow, just leaning over my chest from on top of me staring directly down into my face. Even though it was dark in my room, I could see this man on top of me. He was as clear as anyone leaning over staring into your face while you slept. I jumped in my skin with fear at seeing this person on me. I remember jolting against the pillow and almost had a heart attack. And as I stared up at this shadow form, it suddenly dissolved out of sight. I wasn't paralyzed like people may report with dark spirits being on top of them, and I could see the figure hovering directly over me. It was frightening, and I knew that it was him. It was a full dark torso with shoulders and head. His whole form was well defined. I couldn't see his face or eyes because it was too dark. He was just a shadow. I couldn't see his lower body because he was either lying that on top of my abdomen and stomach, or he was standing through me and the bed. Once he had dissolved out of my viewing, I forced myself to remain calm and not give him any more power with fear, so I calmed myself and reclined against my pillow, and letting my arms rest above my head and slightly cocky, I said, So, you found me. What do you want? I waited for some kind of response, but I never heard anything. I looked over at my clock and noted the time was 9.25 p.m. I then turned over on my left side and closed my eyes to begin to pray. I got a flash of a man's eyes, or rather, the after impression of his eyes, staring into mine, with what seemed threatening with a fierce possessiveness. I could even see the color of his eyes. They were greenish hazel. If this was an after impression, he was burning into my face while I slept. Then his face was extremely close to mine. I said prayers and I asked God to protect me. I got up and went to make dinner and my stomach was aching with soreness, as if I was doing stomach crunches or sit-ups. I remember telling my mom in the kitchen what happened. A few days later, I remember still wondering what he wanted. Since he really didn't hurt me, and some words kept popping up in books and even online when I would surf around the words, I found you, kept appearing to me. Oh, 
and I never play with Ouija boards or tarot cards. I am too spooked of Ouija boards to touch one. As someone that kind of believes in this kind of thing, I would definitely be worried about that. When someone, demon or not, comes out of your dreams and into your real life, that is something that would certainly scare me. I hope that whatever the case is, that the writer stays safe. I've got one more story for you guys. It's a short one, but it's scary. Once again, I will be reading from the author's perspective. It was a warm summer night when my friend Jen and I decided that we were going to watch movies in my room. We went down to her house to pick up her VCR since I did not have one of my own. Since I lived in the basement at my house, we decided just to take the basement door from the outside to get in. We opened the basement door and walked across the basement to where my room is. To give a layout of the basement, when you walk into the door, you right away see the stairs to the left. Beside you are a washer and a dryer, and if you walk to the right, you'll run into the bathroom. My room was located right across from the doorway. The basement floor was half plywood and half concrete. The back half was concrete, and that was where my room was. The concrete was separated from the plywood of at least two inches apart, in the sense that they met at the same point, but the concrete sat two inches higher than the plywood. In my room, my bed was against the right corner with the dresser beside it. Right next to it had a floor-modeled television with four china dolls sitting on top. My couch sat directly in front of the TV which was right against the line on the concrete. We get to my room and we set up the VCR so we can watch the movie. Halfway into the movie, the power starts to flicker and we just figured that it's bad light bulbs because the television was not affected. Out of nowhere, all four of the China dolls turn their heads to the right to look at us. As soon as that happened, the lights including the television, went out. We ended up flipping the couch off the concrete and running up the stairs. None of the rooms upstairs lost power or flickered, but Jen and I decided not to go downstairs for the rest of the night. I got rid of those china dolls right after. Never again will I ever display china dolls. I can't even stand them displayed somewhere else. They just creep me out. Dolls like that have always creeped me out. The more realistic looking the doll, the creepier they are. To me, they always look like they're about to blink or turn their heads. I would definitely mess my pants if that were to happen to me. Have any of you had any experiences with a creepy doll? I would love to hear about it. Well, that's going to do it for today. I hope that you guys enjoyed the stories, and if you did, please rate and review on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. A five-star rating goes a long way to help others find this podcast. 
Also, make sure to share with any friends and family that enjoy this kind of content. If you do enjoy this podcast, please consider helping support the show by joining the Ohio Unsolved Patreon. There's three affordable tiers to choose from, all with their own benefits. Once again, thank you everyone for being here for episode 20. I hope you're here for episode 100, which will be here before we know it. Well, all right, everyone. Make sure to keep those doors and windows locked and stay ready for Ohio Unsolved.